Hi everyone, welcome to Two Bald Guys Talking Safety. I'm Langdon DeMint. And I'm Julian Taylor. And welcome to our podcast. Welcome to Two Bald Guys Talking Safety. Langdon DeMint here with my dear friend and fellow partner in crime, Julian Taylor. How's it going, Jules? I'm all good, Langdon. Had a busy, busy few days. I come back to work for a rest, um, but it's it's all good, yeah? Nice. Well, we now have a guest with us who I'll be eager to hear his opinion on why you've been off the last few days. I would like to welcome Brandon Witz. Brandon, how are you, buddy? I'm doing very good. Thank you guys for having me on. Yeah, thanks for joining us. You and I have been working the last few days, but you should ask Jules what he's been doing the last few days. Well, Jules, let's hear it. What have you been up to? Uh, it's, it's, it's been a big birthday weekend, so um, and it was a public holiday here, which was great because it kind of meant I could have a three-day birthday. Oh, well, happy birthday. Thank you. So we, uh, I, I, I went and did a, a really good run on Sunday in London. So I went down to London, met my daughter, and we we did this run together, which I'm I'm not going to say too much about because I think we might do a podcast about the run, Langdon, but I'll I'll tell you about that later. Okay. Langdon's pulling a face for those of you who are just listening at this point in time because he's not a runner. Um but there is a safety related element to it. So we'll we'll deal with that later. And then I went to a really funky place which is in london the old it's called battersea power station so it is an old power generating station and they've they've converted it into a shopping mall with restaurants and and bars and and i hadn't, I hadn't been so we, we we went there and we had a meal and we had some drinks so that was really nice so so it's been nice and and amazingly for the for the uk in may this golden thing appeared in the sky which we don't see very often <laughs> So, so it was good. It was good. We even had the weather. Uh, Brandon, I don't know what you did, but I can speak to my fun. It was not celebrating Jules' birthday, unfortunately. Wasn't invited. It also wasn't doing anything with the uh, his new king. Jules has a new king over there. Wasn't any of that. I worked in the yard all week. <laughs> We've got pine needles down now, and it looks fantastic, but it took a lot of work. A lot of dead shrubbery had to be removed, too. Because of our, I don't know, Brendan, did y'all get a crazy cold? So here we had a, it was in, I guess, it was right before Christmas. You know, there was a crazy cold spell that hit kind of the southeast. And I'm located in Tennessee, and it just, I mean, we had some sub-zeros. And it was one of those, you know, it was 40s, 50s, and then all of a sudden the next day, boom. And we lost—I think we lost about ten different, couple of trees, some shrubs. So, it did y'all have anything like that? No, actually, um, I live in Colorado, and we've had a kind of an unusually warm winter. Oh, it hasn't been too bad at all. The wind's been a little rough lately, but outside of that, it's not bad. Good. Well, I'm 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 glad the yard got done, and I will comment, Langdon, that you did eventually remember my birthday, and I did get a little WhatsApp message. So, thank (laughs) thank you for that. Um, you know, I had it typed and I forgot to press the button. Actually, yeah, no, no, I'm sorry, but I did. At least I remembered. It's a good you did remember, and I did it all by here because I don't do much on social media to see when was the actual birthday. So I thought that was pretty strong work. Good job. Thanks. But to transition a little bit, Brandon, would you mind giving maybe for everyone out there, and then kind of as we can take the conversation, you want to give a backstory of where 
kind of what what you started, what you've done, and then to where you are now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, uh, I grew up on a ranch in southern Nevada. Um, as a part of the ranch, my grandpa owned a con- little bit of a construction company, and then my, um, my mom and stepdad owned a water well drilling business. Um, and then my dad, he's been working in mining basically my entire life. Um, so after I uh, bounced around a little bit as I was growing up, and then when I uh, moved out here to Colorado, about sixth, seventh grade, I believe, something like that, um, ended up graduating school out here. Um, after I got out of high school, I started uh, in the mining field. Um, my actual uh, first mine that I worked at was in Alaska. Um, it was off the off the coast of the mainland. Um, and I worked uh, um, just in in operations. So I was a uh, work, worked in the mill, was a mill operator. Um, and then went from there, worked at a, another mine here in Colorado. Um, it was a, the mine that I worked at in Alaska was an underground mine. The one that I worked at here in Colorado was a, an open pit mine. Um, again, worked on the operations side. Um, then eventually I got into the cement industry. Um, so I worked at a cement plant that's uh, just down the road out here. Um, and again, when I started in cement, I started in, in operations. Um, I worked as a utility operator is where you, generally where you start. Um, and then I became a production operator where you're out ensuring the equipment's running properly. And um, when I was with them, I had the opportunity to move over into health and safety and I made the jump. Um, and now I currently am the North American head of health and safety for Thyssenkrupp Industrial Solutions. What, I don't know that we, I don't actually know that you and I have ever talked about it. Curious, during your time in the mines of Alaska, what, that's a, (laughs) I guess thinking about it. So, I mean, since it first came out, I've always been a big Deadliest Catch fan. Okay. So, I know you weren't on a crab vessel, so I'm not going that route, but (laughs) I'm curious as to mine safety is its own base, yes. you know, MSHA. I mean, that's, that's its own monster there. It was there. How was it in Alaska doing mining from a, if you think back, did you notice a lot of, I mean, I'm going to assume maybe there were some trends, some things you've thought about from a safety perspective, maybe a little bit here and there, but did you ever notice, you know, was it the quote unquote wild west up there kind of in that perspective of how you started or, or did you see some things that kind of, maybe initially started triggering you to thinking maybe that could be an element of something you would want to do? Um, I, I mean, the mining industry itself is obviously an inherently dangerous job. Um, but the mine that I worked at was a, it was a large, well-established mine owned, owned by a large company. Um, so it was nothing like you would see on TV, the, the gold rush shows that they had out of Alaska by no means. Um, this was a very well established, they had a good health and safety program. Um, so everything that we did up there was you're, you're covered through health and safety. You go through lots of health and safety training, obviously working at a, an underground mine. Um, the amount of health and safety training that you go through is a little more than you would on a surface mine. Um, cause it's, a little bit more dangerous. Uh, you, you're going under the earth. Um, and I, I worked in 
uh, operations. I worked on the surface for the most part. I did get to go underground every once in a while, um, but for the most part, you're you're on the surface, so it's it's not much different than a, a surface mine you would see, just an open pit mine. Um, but yeah, it's it's inherently dangerous. You work with you work with large pieces of equipment. Um, you're moving tons of rock per hour. Um, and you're using, uh, the mining industry uses chemicals, lots of different chemicals, and you have to be very careful with it. So for me, I started at such a young age. Um, you, you're, you make mistakes, you do dumb things. And I've done them throughout my career, obviously. Um, I've, made, I've made terrible decisions. Um, I've been very lucky that I've, I've never been injured. Um, but I've seen, I've seen injuries. Um, I've worked in, uh, when I first got up to the mine up there, one of the first things I had the opportunity to do was get on the mine rescue team. Um, and when you get on a mine rescue team, you, uh, you start to talk about the, the things that could happen. You get to see the things that could happen. Um, and it changes your, it changes the way you look at health and safety a little bit differently. Um, so I think that's truly what led me down the path of health and safety. Um, when you're, when you're on a rescue team in, in, in any circumstance, whether you're just a, whether you're a first responder out there or, or you're on some type of mine rescue team or, or facility rescue team, um, you're on the backside of safety at that point in time. If you get called uh, something in the safety system failed, um, and you're just there to try and alleviate as much of it as you possibly can, um, but somebody's already injured or something already bad happened. Um, so you're there to do your best to try and clean up or, or make sure whatever it was doesn't turn into a fatality. Um, that helped, that helped to drive me. Um, but I've always had a, a, a fascination with health and safety. Um, health and safety is one of those areas that's, it's continuously developing. It's, there's always something new every day. There's always a new way to look at it. Um, and I, um, I like to talk to people. I enjoy having conversations with people and having conversations in health and safety for me has always been easy. Um, when I got my first job in health and safety, uh, actually I didn't have my degree. I didn't have either of my degrees in health and safety yet. Um, I had a, some amazing leadership uh, throughout the process and they gave me an opportunity to jump into one of these positions and, and learn and i think part of what lead, led them to the decision to to let me hop into one of those areas especially uneducated uh was just my my drive and determination um and my uh my ability to talk to people about things that i've done wrong in the past um you can't have a you can't have an ego in in health and safety if you've done something wrong or if you you've seen something go wrong you've got to be able to talk about it um, and sometimes they're embarrassing, obviously, especially as a health and safety guy, when you're telling people, hey, I, I did this one time and it was not good. Um, but those, those conversations seem to stick with people, um, especially when it comes from a head of health and safety. And when you're saying, hey, I've made mistakes. I understand what it's like. I've been in your guys' position before. Um, you're not, I'm not here to drive anything down on top of you. I'm just here to help guide you along the path no i was going to say brad i'm jumping over you there but i was going to say it's we've talked before on the pod about actually sometimes it's the simplest things isn't it it's just talking to people actually 
get away from things like emails and processes. Go and talk to people and, and just talk about the reality of what they're doing. And that's sometimes the, the best way. And I love what you're saying there as well about being vulnerable, actually holding your hands up and saying, yeah, I've, I've been the dumbass. I've done the crazy things. Um, and, and, and actually people relate to that. So I've got a burning question then. What's the dumbest thing you've ever done and got away with? <laughs> um, you, see his, you see what's on the wall behind him. So you know Monster Energy, some Supercross action. You know, I had another buddy. I told you about that, Brandon. I can speak to some of his crazy. Yeah. So he's a safety professional. <laughs> um, I think one of the... Uh, one of the worst things I've ever done was uh, um, it was an energy isolation issue. Um, we were working on a working on a belt. Um, we we're shoveling material off the belt. We were several feet up in the air, um, several by about a hundred feet up in the air. And the particular area where we were at, you it wasn't required for tie off because you were uh, you were, had handrails and walking areas um, around you, but uh, the, we didn't isolate the belt properly. And when we were shoveling the material off it, the belt moved. Um, cause, and I ended up falling um, and almost went through the handrail. So that would have been a catastrophic, potential fatal injury. Um, that's, the, that's the story that I tell the most, especially when we're discussing energy isolation. Um, and at the end of the day, energy isolation is, it's very simple. It, it's isolating injury energy it can be the processes behind it can be complex the systems can be very massive but at the end of the day you're just isolating energy and uh, with this particular uh um, isolation you know we we had done the right steps correctly in the beginning but we decided not to put a belt stop on to keep the belt from rolling backwards i um, mean it would have taken us 10 minutes to do that maybe um and we decided not to. It could have been a horrible decision. So it was a, a, a two-second decision that would have taken an additional 10 minutes. And we said, nah, let's go do it. It was a, it was a very bad decision. We uh, got very lucky. Obviously, nothing happened. But uh, that story seems to resonate with guys quite a bit. Um, it's, it's a lot of injuries nowadays, it seems like, are, are decision-based. A lot of injuries that you see happen, we... You don't see a lot of those quote unquote um, lightning strikes, those injuries where it's like nobody had any idea that was coming. It was just one of those one in a billion out of the blue. A lot of injuries nowadays you see there was a decision throughout the process that was made that led to that. Um, and that particular one was a decision at the end of the day, and it could have been a could have been a fatal decision that I made. I think I think it's interesting. Talking, talking about sort of energy isolation because in in the US I think it's it's far more regulated that you you do that um, and and I I'm just amazed we've not done the same thing in the UK because to me it just how many incidents would that stop um, just for the sake of isolating whether it's pressure whether it's electrical energy whatever it might be isolating it and 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 i can I've, I've got the real story as well about this which was a guy i worked with who was doing some repairs in a piece of equipment and he had his arm down around a, a, a screw turbine and somebody turned it on um and and he'd lost his right arm ripped off at the shoulder um 
and you think for the sake of a, a flipping cover and a padlock on, on, on the switch so that it couldn't be turned on, it just didn't need to happen. Um, it didn't need to happen. Um, and that was a while ago. And I mean, that was the thing that sort of turned me on to safety was was not witnessing that, but seeing that happen to a colleague and thinking, actually, this is madness. This just didn't need to happen. Um, I'm I'm sort of interested as well. What what prompted you know, talking about the mines rescue? Because I'm just always nosy about why people do things. What was it about the sort of the rescue team that that you wanted to be on the rescue team? Oh, I, I was young. I started mining when I was 19, um, and I I am a bit of an adrenaline junkie. So anytime you say, "Hey, you want to go be a rescue person," and you you think yeah <laughs> you, know, you watch all these shows about firefighters and, and the amazing rescues that firefighters do and then you um i had been around the mining industry for my whole life with my um i'm a fourth generation miner so uh, i've heard lots of stories and when you first get into it you're like yeah i want to go do that that sounds amazing <laughs> um so it was uh, more than anything it was I was looking for a rush. <laughs> um, and then once I got into it and I really started to, to learn about it and understand it, I, it, it just got its hooks into me. Um, to this day, I'm still a, I'm an EMT. Um, I've done several different types of, of rescue training. Um, I've went and got a, a certificate. It's called a SPRAT certificate. It's a society of rope access technicians. So, um, and that's a, Rope access is a, is a whole different world, obviously, and, but the purposes that we went for uh, the, this team that I went with to get this was um, more specifically towards the rescue side. How can we use ropes to get to particular individuals that have fallen in an area of a plant? Um, cement, plants are, cement plants are big. They, they stand up really tall in the air. Um, there's catwalks everywhere. And, and working at heights is a huge part of, a, of an operations job when it comes to working inside of a cement plant. When you start looking at the, how are we going to get to them in a timely manner, um, especially if your plant is, is located in an area where you don't have a, a good rescue system, a, a fire department that's really close, things like that. Um, this particular plant I was working at, um, we, we didn't have access to uh, a system that could get there very quickly to us and they didn't have very much equipment that was going to reach the heights that we needed to i mean we we leaned towards rope access to to go down that world um thankfully i never had to use it um did a whole lot of practice which was a lot of fun but never had to actually implement a rescue on on somebody which is very good you don't want to have to do it but uh, it's just a lot of fun um and when you when you start getting into that world it's um it just sinks its teeth into you and there's a there's a whole other aspect of safety that goes into rescue. You know, there's um, a lot of people think, well, when you rescue, all the rules go out the go out the window. And no, that's not true at all. If anything, the rules get a little bit more stringent. Um, you have to really take your time. You got to really know what you're doing, and that's where practice comes in. You gotta uh, you gotta practice it over and over again because when you're in the heat of the moment. Um, you lose the ability to, to clearly think through every single scenario. So if you train on it and you practice with it, a uh, little bit of that muscle memory will come in and help you out. 
No, I think that's a great point because you know I I can recall being in school and you know always like oh you know grade school playing sports and stuff and people saying practice makes perfect and then I remember finally had one they're like no practice doesn't make perfect because if you practice the wrong thing you're not going to be perfect you're and you know perfect practice makes perfect and understanding where you can where you can get better that's the whole point of practicing you know where you can fine-tune things we had a our first some t-ball coaching my six-year-old and we had our first practice last night and you know even going through that it's let's start looking at little things let's see what do we do well keep it fun but at the same time what can we do to get better you know you think about it and that's you know everything you're saying i think from a the safety side i'm I'm curious to your thoughts now. One of the most important things, and you said it, and that's what helped you get into it first, was, Joel's for you, building camaraderie with people. <laughs> and the importance of actually really having good health and safety, even before I got into the industry, right? So when I finished um, my undergrad, I was working with a friend of mine who was an industrial hygienist and going out, and I used to always just, I hate to give him any props in case he's listening later on, but he, you know, we I've gone to church with him for a long time and he's very personable, just very open and, and always walking around talking to people, people he'd see, you know, doing annual surveys cause he was a consultant. So, you know, once a year, maybe twice a year and just walking up, talking to him, you know, loosening it up. Cause you're talking some of them to what you said, high, high risk, high hazard industry, and there is a different mentality for people that, that work there a lot of times versus your, you know, your warehouse, whatever. And I think that's something I'm, I'm intrigued your thoughts on. What are some of the better ways you've seen, you have found, you're still experiencing of making health and safety more ingrained when you have that vast difference, you know, demographic of worker? Because realistically, if you think about it, you know, the younger workforce is, has its own issues as does the older. So how do we merge the two? How can we keep it as specific as we need to? How can we really make health and safety uh, important, but still productive? You know, does that make sense? So I think uh, first health and safety does not need to be a, it doesn't need to be complex. Um, there, there's obviously complexities that go into health and safety um, from a regulatory standpoint, um, from a procedural standpoint, but all, all of that can be done on the management side. Um, but when it comes to writing health and safety policies um, or writing standard operating procedures, they, they have to be simple in the, in the way that everybody can read them and understand how they apply to their job. Um, so that is a, for, for me, that's, that's a big place to start. If you have these inner, any health and safety policy, if they're so complex and difficult to read, um, or difficult to understand when you start handing these down to every level of the, of your organization and not everybody can understand them and get them, especially the guys that are guys and gals that are working on the ground level, um, if they don't get it, it's one of the first things that's going to go out the window. Um, they have a lot of things to think about already. They have their entire job that they have to think about. Some jobs are very difficult. So when you throw extremely difficult procedures and processes on top of them, 
it makes it more difficult. Um, so if they don't understand it, then they don't understand where they're cutting corners. They don't understand if they're cutting corners or if it's just so complex that they're like, well, I, I got to get my job done. And they just go out and do it that that's it's hurting them. Um, so for me, having engagement from every level when it comes to the policies and the procedures helps a lot. Um, it gives them first a little bit of ownership that goes into it. They can say, I, well, I was one of the ones that helped write this. Uh, I'm, I'm the one that does this job every single day and I had a say in this. Um, and then a, a big thing for me is getting people to understand how health and safety affects them. So um, there's, a, there's a speech that I give uh, every time we're in any type of health and safety training. Um, and anybody that's going to listen to this who's worked with me before could probably recite this verbatim. <laughs> but I, I, I heard this years ago in a conference and it stuck with me and I've just kept it. Um, everybody working for an organization, so e even just the, the three of us, we're obviously, we, we work for an organization um, and we hopefully love our job, uh, find our jobs fascinating and very fun. But at the end of the day, we're all here for the same reason. We work for that organization for the exact same reason. It's to get the paycheck. Um, if I love my job, but if I could make money teaching my daughter's softball team, I would not be doing my job. I would be doing that. Um, so there's a certain amount of discomfort that we will take to ensure that we get that paycheck. We will take stress. We will take being tired. We will take being dirty. We'll take being sore. But the second you get hurt, you devalue that paycheck. You make that paycheck not worth as much. And it's from all the way down to the simplest injuries. Um, so this is an example that I like to use. If you go on a job and you roll your ankle um, and you're the type of person that when you're not at work, you just like to sit around and play video games, which I definitely not a problem with. Um, you're, when you go home that night after you rolled your ankle, you're not going to play that video game at the same level you do every other night because now you're uncomfortable or you're having to sit in a weird position because you're icing your ankle, whatever it happens to be. Um, you're not going to enjoy that life outside of work that you would normally. And again, that job is just to provide the type of lifestyle you like to live outside of work. So if you get injured at work, you're devaluing the reason that you are there. And obviously, I gave you an example of a very small injury. If you take that up to a high level and it's a bad injury, um, you're really altering the way you live your life. Um, or if you go all the way to the to the side of a, a fatality, um, I, I'm sure you guys have all heard of the butterfly effect. Um, any type of injury is going to affect your life and the people around you's lives. So when you go all the way to a fatality, um, that's extreme effects that you will have on uh, your coworkers, your families, your loved ones, your friends. It's a it's a massive effect. So I really try hard to get people to to understand that. And like I had said earlier, a lot of injuries nowadays are decision based. Um, when you dig down to the root cause of the injury, there was a decision made at some point in time. Sometimes it wasn't always your decision. It might have been someone else's decision, but there was a decision that was made that led to an injury. So if we can keep our decision-making path aligned with 
your health and safety to ensure that you go home and enjoy the life that you go to work for every single day. That is going to help you get through the day safer. Um, and when I when I give that speech or when I have that conversation with people, it seems from what I've seen, it seems to resonate a little bit. It's putting some. It's just putting a little bit of reality, of reality to it. Um, what we do is is dangerous. It, it is, and we, as amazing as the human body is, we're fragile. We are fragile humans, and it doesn't take much, especially when you're working around large pieces of equipment in a dangerous industry. It does not take anything to have a life-altering decision lead to a life-altering injury. Is that something you? Would you say you are able to do pretty well as far as talking and driving engagement, even where you are now? Because you say you give that example, and honestly, I, I think about one I had a few years ago, and same way. You know, it was a they had what was it? I think eight hours to do a job, but it was it was t quality or quantity based. So if he finished in four hours his job, he could go home. So it was you know it was one of those time he still gets paid the same, but it's. How long do you, you have X amount of time to get the job done? And it was a lot of moving stuff back and forth. And it was a distribution center and watched him for a little while. We were doing some hazard analysis and we were creating some JHAs and just some ergo assessments, you know, different stuff like that. And I mean, dude, you know, he was young. He was, he was getting it, moving boxes, you know, a few at a time, trying to do it and kind of watched him for a little while, talked to him, uh, you know, left and, and then came back to do a full assessment in the same way. You know, it was one of those, he was ready to get home. He had a crappy shift and he had a couple of young kids and he wanted to get home to the young kids. And I, we just got talking. I said, you know, I, I, it's fair. I get it. I have one myself at, at the time. I was like, have you ever thought what happens if you hurt your back? Well, we made, I'm pretty young. I'm good. Yeah. But what happens if you, if you get injured, you know, and you get hurt and you, you can't pick these boxes up. Well, I'll probably, you know, do some job rotation. They have that. Yeah. What about when you go home? Are you able to pick up your kid? You know, and just thinking about some perspective like that, that there is that correlation we forget about. In the same way, you know, how often have we, you know, Joel's heard me talk about it, thrown safety to the wayside at home, even myself, you know, jumping off a ladder, doing a quick project when I was building the playhouse out back or, or when I was doing all the work this past weekend, just manhandling some roots, getting my little hacksaw. I didn't have my glasses. It was hot. I was in a hurry. Just let's get it, you know, getting the jigsaw out, working them. It's easy to, I feel like a lot of times because of what you just said, make those decisions to, I'll get it in a second. I can kind of barely for us, if you can't see, I'm just kind of barely opening the eye just to see enough to get the job done right quick. But what's your take? What are your thoughts on how how are you finding bridging some of those gaps? Because to me, that's the, you hit that nail on the head. I mean, you know, we saw incident rates. They've dropped the last few years. They finally plateaued. But then the serious injury fatalities, they've gone up. They haven't really changed much. Um, so it is a, we're trying to figure out what to do different. And I think, I think we're honestly at a stalemate a little bit. What, what, what are your thoughts? Because you have, it's awesome because you've come from a different perspective, being heavy in the high hazard industries, working and then transitioning over. What are some things you're seeing 
in Thyssen Krupp and or in your past also that's helping to have that communication actually build maybe more holistic health and safety throughout? For me, it, it really helps a lot from a when the organization shows the shows the same thing. Obviously, um, w- with with any organization, time is money, um, and the quicker we can get things done, the less expensive it is, or the quicker we can get the system back up. Um, but when you have your supervisors and your managers take that moment, take that step back and tell everybody, hey, we're going to slow down a minute and we're going to do this correctly, it, it helps to drive that point with all, all of the employees that, hey, it, I can take a second. I can, I can take a, an extra minute to do a, a better analysis or to come up with a better plan or to just slow down and take a break. Um, it's really easy for people to work themselves to a point of, of exhaustion. Um, and especially when you, like your example, where, you know, you're going to get paid the same, but the quicker I get it done, the sooner I get to go home. Um, if you have someone else in a, in a leadership position that's helping to drive the point home that I understand we need to get this done quickly and we want to, but these extra couple of minutes aren't going to hurt us in, in the long run to take a, even if it's a, even if it's an hour, if it's two hours, Hey, we need a different tool to do this. And we're going to have to go rent this tool to, to do this. It's going to take a couple hours for it to get here. We'll make it up somewhere else. It's, it, it, it's okay. Let's ensure that everybody goes home safely. Um, that really helps drive the point home. Um, humans, we, we feel pressure. We, we Everything in life is, is a pressure pot for, for people. And you see it from the youngest ages all the way up. When you, when you see a, a kid in high school that's under pressure and, and a lot of parents are like, oh, you don't understand what pressure is. Well, no, they don't yet, but this is, this is pressure for them. Well, that follows you all the way through life. And when you, when you have people next to you or you have people in leadership positions that are trying to help bring that pressure down a little bit or at least ensure them that they're okay to take a little bit extra time. Or even if sometimes it's forced, if you have a supervisor that, that steps in and says, Hey, we're going to stop for a minute. This is, this is too much. Or the, the best thing to do is ensure that your employees know they have a power to say, Hey, we need to stop. Something doesn't look right. And it could be, you know, the newest guy that, that just got hired in. He's been with you guys for a week, and and he feels uh, he feels entitled enough to say, "Guys, this doesn't look right. Uh, we should we should stop for a minute." And for everybody to step back and go, "Oh, you're right. You're absolutely right. Let's slow down and take a look at this." That that puts a a whole nother perspective for for everybody I've seen. Um, so I like to I try to push that. Um, I I. Obviously, I want people to understand how health and safety can affect them inside work and outside of work. But also, I want you to feel like you have the power. If you see something, you need to say stop. Then everything comes to a screeching halt for a couple of minutes. And uh, obviously, I've been doing this for, for many years. Um, every time I've ever seen a job come to a screeching halt, it was for five minutes, for 10 minutes. It didn't take hardly any time at all. And we completely reorganized the way we were going to do the job. 
we were like, oh, this is not going to work. We're going to stop, hit the drawing board again. Ten minutes later, boom, we're right back in the action. Um, and you're moving forward. That is, that's empowering. Um, I was the the first um, safety guy that I that I worked under. Um, and if he listens to this, Ernie, you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> um, he he showed me that so much and he, he again he was a guy that was like me he came from the operations background and he got into health and safety so he knew he knew that world before he tried to just push health and safety into it he understood how that how that world operated and then you you can merge health and safety into that because you have a knowledge of both sides of it um watching him do that watching him talk with with me, who was just a, a operations guy on the ground, and then also watching him speak with the management team and say, "Hey, let's let's slow down a little bit. Let's look at this from a different angle." Um, it, it it builds confidence in everybody. It built a ton of confidence in me. Uh, watching him do health and safety was a huge driving factor for me to say, "I I, I want to do this. I want to be. I, I want to do what Ernie does." You you know something there, Brandon. You've you kind of really, for me, nailed what a safety person needs to be. Because because how long ago was it you you worked with Ernie? Um, been about four years now. So four years later, and you can still see the passion in your face about the way that Ernie dealt with you. Yeah. And and yeah. that that's the key thing, isn't it? And that's that's the key thing about safety is you've got to have. I'm going to use Langdon's word here. You've you've got to have that camaraderie, that that sort of people connection, if if you're going to get them to think. And you talked about making decisions earlier. If you're going to get them to make the right decisions, you've got to have that connection to make them think. And I think the other thing that really resonated there when you were talking was we talk about safe operations, um, and actually safety pays um, because actually that being able to stop and say slow down if it stops an accident happening and the plant having to shut down actually it's making you money isn't it because what was it cost to shut a mine down because of an incident (laughs) millions millions of dollars i I mean especially millions of dollars you're talking serious amounts of money aren't you any production any kind of manufacturing situation where there's an incident the first thing that happens is you stop production um, and that costs an organization money. So actually the sensibility to say, slow it down and don't have the incident in the first place is massive. Um, and and the, the other bit that was really sort of ringing a bell with me was that whole thing of people being empowered to say stop. Because to me, that's a really great temperature check on where an organization is around the, the whole approach to safety. Um, we, we were speaking at a conference three weeks ago, Langdon. Um, and we actually asked that question. When was the last time you saw the job stopped because somebody put their hand up or, or raised a safety concern? And about three hands went up. Um, and to me, that's a really great temperature check generally in terms of where are we with this whole cultural change around safety? Do Because people have got to have that confidence, haven't they, to be able to go, well, actually, I, I don't feel right here. I don't want to do this. Um and if they don't, that's that's when we get the problems. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for someone to be able to just just raise a concern and say, "Hey, this doesn't look right," um, and 
I, I, I feel very lucky with the, the organization where we are. And obviously we're not, we're not perfect. Um, but I have seen several times I was on a, on a job just last week and I seen somebody say, Hey, Oh, this, this doesn't look right. Let's stop. And everybody stopped. Everything came to a screeching halt. Two minutes later, they adjusted a couple of things and boom, we start, started right back up. And it wasn't a supervisor that said, stop. It was not. And as soon as he said, stop, everybody went, whoa. And everybody stopped. And as a, uh, as a safety professional, you step back and you're like, wow, that was amazing. And I said, I didn't say anything. I just watched, watched everything unfold. Um, there's a lot of times for me, I have to understand that um, I, I understand health and safety. Um, and I understand some some aspects of operation and in the mining industry and, and things like that. But I don't know everything. I'm not going to catch everything. I am a long ways from the subject matter expert. Um, so I ask I ask guys questions all the time. Um, I'm a huge questions guy, and I know a lot of people, especially if you come in new, you don't you don't want to ask questions and things. Um, you, you can't do that. Um, and I try to, in, in a lot of ways, I try to lead by example there. I ask so many questions. Sometimes I slow down jobs a little bit. So I'm like, what are you doing right now? Why are you doing that? What, why does this piece of equipment do that? What is it that we're trying to do? Um, and a lot of it for me is because I'm really curious and uh, I, I'm interested in this world that I, that I work in. Um, it's fascinating for me. And then the other side is, um, if I stop somebody and start asking them questions, uh, I want to inspire them to be able to do the same thing to me for them to go, you know, well, he doesn't mind asking me questions. Maybe I can ask him a couple questions. That's, that's perfect. When somebody starts asking you questions about, about health and safety, you, you know that you have at least sparked some interest in their mind. Um, and if you, if you can spark someone's interest in health and safety, you're, you're opening the gate for a, a safer environment to work in. And it, and it sounds really dapper. It's all, it's all, there's a third element to it as well, Brandon, which is actually how does that person feel about themselves when they realize that they actually know more than you and you've asked them some questions you can learn from them? It makes them feel good, doesn't it? It's, it's, it's subtle little things that just make a difference here. Um, I was talking to a new manager the other day and, and he was concerned because he was doing some coaching sessions with some of his team. Um, and I said to him, I said, you don't need to have all the answers. I said, you're, you're not the, they're the experts. They do the job every day. Yeah. You don't, you, you don't need to, and, and you can show that actually it's, you, you don't need to have all the answers, but you can be there as a facilitator to get them to think about the way that they're doing things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. This is the whole point of coaching. Um, I'm, I'm like you. I'm obsessed with questions. So I love what you're saying here. I, yeah, people people get fed up of me asking questions. So, yeah, Langdon, how are you I, feeling about all this? Hey, that's I'm my parents. If you ask them, and even my wife, I was the I was the question kid. I was inquisitive, and I wanted to know. I mean, even if it was something dumb, I didn't care. I mean, it was one of those I. I liked learning and I liked asking stuff. And I think that's it. You th where's, you know, you always hear where's true health and safety. And a lot of people will talk leadership and this and that, and yeah, they have to have buy-in, but who knows the jobs that's where true health and safety is. It's with the frontline workers. It's with those that are doing it and they are experts of their craft, you know, and even if they're not, you give them a few months, they're going to be because that's what they do day in and day out. And 
I 100% agree. Trying to get them more bought in and getting them engaged by doing that. Stop work authority. Stop, you know, something doesn't look right even. Because to your point, how many times, how many times is it ending up that it is something massive? A lot of times it's not, but it's that just this doesn't feel right. And then as you're doing it earlier on, hopefully before it, anything happens, not only are you stopping the adverse effect, but you're minimizing it to an acceptable level because nothing even happens. I, you know, I'm, I'm a big proponent of that as well. I think that's something that is a lot of times overlooked, but something that really, it makes a, it makes a massive difference. I'm, I'm, I'm conscious of the time here. So I was going to kind of start to wrap with a, a couple of questions. Oh, I've got two more questions, Brandon. So the first one is you've, you've had a couple of roles in, in safety. Um, if, you, if you're coming into a new organization, what are your sort of first steps to start to build that sort of connection with people and camaraderie? Uh, for me, coming into a new organization, the, the best thing I can do is try to learn the organization the best that I can. I need to understand what it is that you do. Um, if I roll into an organization and I immediately start implementing change or, or uh, rewriting policies and I don't completely understand what they're doing, uh, it could be detrimental at the end of the day. I could I could write things into policies that um, could be uh, could put people in a worse position because I didn't fully understand what they were doing and, and how they do it. Um, so being able to step in there and, and just come in and listen, ask as many questions as I possibly can, um, get to learn what it is that they're doing. And in the process of learning what it is that they're do doing, you're learning, you're learning who your team are. You're learning who your, who, who your different people are. And, and, you know, while you're while you're asking these questions, obviously just normal everyday questions come up. You know, how are you doing today? What what's your family life look like? Things like that. So you get to know people a little bit more, and you bring that that personable uh, side of it in. So you get to you get to know the people that you're working with, um, and then you get to understand fully their job. Um, health and safety is here to help an organization along. It's not here to hinder an organization it's here to make sure the organization continues on productively um effectively financially moving forward in the safest manner possible um and you do that by learning the organization the best that you can um i've been i've been with this organization for almost two years now and i, I haven't even started to scratch the surface of what it is that we that we fully do. And I, I, I come from the cement industry and I know the cement industry, not extremely well by any means, but I know, I know it fairly well. So it's, it's in the same, uh, it's in the same realm. And I still have to come in and put my ego aside and say, I, I don't understand what it is that you do. Help me learn, help me understand what you do. And then help me understand how I can help you move forward safely. Great answer. Um, Final question then. I asked you what was the dumbest thing you've ever done. <laughs> what do you think is the smartest thing you've ever done around safety then? It's hard. I don't know if I've done anything really smart yet. <laughs> I am sure you have. Um, What's the thing you're most proud of then? Being able to, uh, being able to touch people, uh, being able to just have a, a 
personable conversation with them and being able to share uh, share my lessons learned, my own personal lessons learned with them and say, uh, take the embarrassment out of it and say, hey, this is what I have done wrong. Um, I don't ever want to be that type of safety person that says, hey, do it this way because I said. I want to be that type of safety person that says, hey, I think this is the best way to do it. Here's why. Here's the things that I've seen in the past. And there's sometimes that I can say, I did it like that one time and it hurt. <laughs> Cool. I can't believe that you have an ego problem, Brandon. It's been a delight talking to you. Um, <laughs> well, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm sure we could probably set another one of these up and talk for another hour because it's, it's. I love these because it's just fairly easy. It's just having a conversation. So, I'm going to hand up. I'm going to hand over to my bald friend to, to, to give us a wrap for today. Well, I appreciate it. And thanks again, Brandon, for joining us. Look forward to talking and catching up with you soon. Hopefully, as Jules said, I think we. We see common threads, I think, throughout a bunch of people we're talking to, but hearing the vast difference of perspective just on how they've taken it, it's always um, very encouraging and just interesting, honestly, to learn how different different individuals are managing health and safety. So thank you again for, for joining us. Oh, thank you guys very much. I appreciate you having me on. It was a lot of fun. It's been great. Yeah. But for everyone out there, as you're going about the rest of your days and your weeks. Remember to stay healthy, stay safe, and watch each other's back out there. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Hey, everyone. Really appreciate you tuning into this episode of Two Bald Guys Talking Safety. Please follow and subscribe to wherever you stream your favorite podcast or visit us at evotix.com. And if you want to see how follically challenged we really are, come and check us out on YouTube. If you've got value from the podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts and in the review section of this podcast, if you could leave us a review or a rating, that would be great. And as always, everyone, while you're going about your days and about your normal lives, stay safe out there and watch each other's back. <laughs>